0: This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. In this week's episode of the MMA Insiders Podcast, we are going to look into injuries and the rehab process that fighters go through, and we're going to have a fighter's point of view on this as we're going to be joined by American Top Team and Ultimate Fighter Season 21 alum Steve Montgomery as we're going to talk about the injury, rehab process, everything that goes a part of this, the decision of whether to pull out of a fight or not to pull out of a fight. Do you prolong the surgery? Do you go ahead and have the surgery? Also, we're going to talk about that South Florida MMA scene. Some changing things are going on down there. We'll also get some funny stories out of Steve that, you know, things that happened in his career. Also, I want to mention his article that he recently wrote on MMAsucka.com about the differences between fighters and martial artists. But before I bring in Steve, I want to let you know about my sponsor, Fight TV. Fight is a go to app for MMA fans and practitioners, live pay-per-views, TV tapings, full length matches, interviews, movies, and documentaries. Fight is your number one source for MMA boxing and pro wrestling video. Get a front row seat to live wrestling, MMA, and boxing action anytime, any place. Get fight free and see what's streaming now for you. You can download the fight app free today by going to fight f I T E dot TV forward slash radio influence. Once again, that is fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash radio influence forward slash. And that link is also available on radioinfluence.com. Of course, you can hear this podcast always on radioinfluence.com. Also, podcasts available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search the MMA Insiders. And while you're there, would appreciate it if you would rate and review this show. With all that being said, let's bring in the creepy weasel, Steve Montgomery. Steve, how's it going?
1: It's going well, Jason. You make me sound a lot cooler than I really am. <laughs> well,
0: I, I appreciate you, you know, taking some time. Uh, you know, un- unfortunately for you, you, you do tend to have a, a lot of time on your hands right now. And we're going to talk <laughs> about talk about your injury situation. But, uh, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago. It, it just seemed like a, as an MMA reporter, it was every day. It, it was you would get... Uh, you know, the notifications, whether it was from a UFC or, or maybe various sources you have about a, a fighter pulling out due to an injury. But it, it seems like to me, and you can tell me if you, if you think I'm wrong in this, but my perception is is that you don't have as many fighters pulling out of fights. And, and my thought is that is I think that fighters are just more educated on how to take care of their bodies better now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I definitely think there's been a lot of better trends uh, floating around just the scene in general. I mean, whether it be in a, you know, you can just see it in the articles, you know, in the articles that people share, whether it be on social media or what comes on these big sites, it's like, okay, you know, all fighters are Trying to like, oh, for example, you know, the big trend is less sparring, more drills, and this and that. And like, like us at ATT, like, we had, like, before all that stuff got big, I had kind of already figured that out. You know, I, back when I started, I was, you know, sparring three, four times a week. But I honestly think, personally, if you really are going to get into the fight game, a better way than even amateur fights themselves to learn, if you really want it, is a, you know, a, a better amount of hard sparring. Not necessarily to give you brain damage, but, you know, so those type of trends are are, are are always floating around that are making the sport a lot safer.
0: The term I always hear, and I think it's a term that probably uh, MMA reporters, we started hearing a lot more, was, was from Donald Cerrone, that, that technical sparring in. You know, I get a chance to talk to fighters all over uh, you know, the United States and Canada about, you know, their, their view on sparring. And I do hear a lot of fires say, you know, what is a lot more about technical sparring at this point. Is that something you, you have adapted inside your team of not that, you know, hard hitting sparring, but more of just like kind of just going through the
1: motions type sparring. Um, yeah. And and you got to go with people you trust, you know, sometimes, you know, there's certain people that, you know, I love them to death, but. Maybe I just know that for whatever reason I can't technical spar with them. It might either maybe they just have bony elbows, and you know I might get cut. There's even people like that, you know. But uh, I do a lot of technical sparring. I like to do at least you know three or four hard hard sparring sessions, more so for the timing. You know, it's not, and that's the thing too. People are all against the headgear. I'm not a fan of big headgear, but I only wear it you know to avoid cuts. Um, but I like I like a couple of hard sparring sessions just to make sure you know you're where you need to be cardio wise, timing wise. Because at the end of the day, if you do only tech sparring, and you know if you fought enough like Dan Henderson, and you don't need to spar anymore to go out there and just go you know balls to the wall. But I like to get you know two or three sessions in where I'm really grunting when I'm throwing punches, and it's not necessarily that you're going hard to the head. You might be going hard to the body or something of that sort. But technical sparring is a huge, huge part of, uh, I think, any good fighter's camp. Not only technical where you're just throwing random stuff, but maybe you guys have planned out a a combination series that you're running back and forth. So you defend four, throw three, then he throws five, and then you throw six, or whatever it is.
0: And, of course, the major reason we wanted to bring you on is a a fighter's point of view when it comes to injuries. And uh, you are going through... Uh, a rehab process, uh, obviously something that uh, you, you never want to go through. Uh, some people might call a rehab process physical therapy torture. But, uh, you know, you are going through that process. Uh, unfortunately, you had to pull out a fight that was supposed to take place uh, ne- next weekend. Uh, you know, first off, talk to me about the thought process as a fighter. When you have an injury that you know most likely surgery is something you have to get done at some point. How do you make that decision of whether you go ahead and ha- had have the surgery now or maybe you try to get a couple additional fights in before maybe you ultimately have to have that surgery?
1: Um, I think it kind of varies. I've seen a lot, you know, it obviously every fighter is a different person, but most logical guys, which, you know, it's hard to even call us logical, we're fighters, but a lot of us are logical. And the logical ones, I feel like it depends how bad – the injury actually is, you know, um, whether it be your knee or your shoulder or your wrist. You know what can what what can you? For example, if you're a guy who really relies on your jab and you you know your jab hand's wrist is completely just got whatever it is arthritis or maybe you've got bone chips in there and that's your money maker and you're about to fight a guy who you need to use it against and you really cannot jab at all. And, you know, after two or three days of a cortisone shot, maybe you try. I mean, most fighters will try everything to avoid surgery, even if they have to pull out of the fight. You know, even, you know, nobody wants to have surgery. But um, sometimes, man, it's just when you when you have when you know, you know, I mean, mine, I knew I as soon as I was doing a very light warm up and I rolled in a funky position on on the knee and I felt something lock and I couldn't move the knee. And when we got the leg straight, nothing would change. And and to get it straight, the whole knee would start shaking uncontrollably. So and I couldn't walk. I couldn't really straighten my leg. I couldn't get it past a ninety degree. It was just kind of stuck at a ninety degree angle. And then uh, so when I went to my orthopedic, you know, doctor, he t- he looked at it and said, "I don't even need an MRI. We're gonna have to go in with an arthroscope and see what it is." And uh, luckily, mine was the you know the smallest injury you could possibly have is if you had to ask for any injury, this would be the one you'd want as weird as that might sound. You know,
0: one of the, the things you always, you hear not just in, in MMA, but in, in sports in general is there is a difference between being hurt and being injured. And anyone listening to this knows a fire doesn't go into a fight. 100%. You're going to have some, some, you know, nicks and bruises that are going to carry into the fight, but, you know, how, you know, in terms of from a fighter's aspect, what is the difference between being hurt and being injured?
1: Yeah, I think it comes to functionality. Can you function or not? You know, everyone's got low back pain, but you know, if you're warmed up and your adrenaline's going, are you really going to notice it? Are you going to not go for a move? Um, you know, if you've got a broken rib, can you still throw punches? Can you still wrestle? I mean, I know I'm not going to say names, but I know someone who just got a sick knockout in the UFC who just had a really sore rib. Had a really sore rib. I know the guy. You know, and it's like, and I saw it in, in the training, and and he still just went out there and handled business, so I, he could function. If if my leg had you know magically popped back into place and I could at least walk on it, I'm I'm not going to say I would have avoided surgery altogether, but. You know, I would have definitely still probably been fighting in the fight, but it, uh, you know, it would not go back into place, and I couldn't walk for days. You know, it just was not fun at all. So I knew that if I couldn't walk and couldn't even pass the pre-fight physical, then there was, you know, might as well go ahead and call it all and not waste anybody's time.
0: You know, and I've been in that backrooms when the pre-fight medicals. I remember being. Uh, in the back when you were fighting uh, in Titan FC here in Tampa, it was not exactly the uh, ideal scenario for fighters uh, when uh, that whole situation <laughs> went down. But uh, you know, ultimately, that I remember it was there was a lot of sitting around, wait, waiting for all that to kind of take place there. It's happened in Florida. Yeah, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you know. I, you know, I just sat there. I just kind of, I, I was like, man, you, you feel awful for these fighters. They've all sat here. They've they've all gone through their weight cuts. All they all they want to do is step on the scale, make weight, so they can start start rehydrating. But you know, in terms of of the you know the injury aspect and, and the rehab process, as much of, of of this rehab prospect process is physical. I mean, how much does this just kind of just mess with your brain? Because at the end of the day, you want to be inside the gym every day, you know, preparing for a fight, you know, your fight was supposed to be next week, but that's not. So I have to imagine that it does kind of screw with your brain a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's set back after setback. And uh, a long, long time ago, I already had asked myself, you know, when at a young age, are you willing to deal with all the setbacks that this sport is obviously going to come with? And I accepted it. So that, that helped right off the gate. I'm naturally a positive person. I'm lucky lucky I was born an optimist. So when like I'll find I always try to not only find the good in it but then organize everything around the good in it as opposed to, you know, just constantly oh, you know, I don't have the fight. I mean, in my don't get me wrong, when I think about the fact that I should be fighting in a couple of days, I'm like, oh, you're right. I am behind." Like I w- I had that win in October. I need I really wanted to fight in December. I mean, I, I wanted to, but we couldn't get anything till January. So you know, it was like, okay, I needed that fight, and then there was other opportunities on the table. So there were a lot of plans that are going to end up changed. But um, at the same time, too, um, I had two friends recently get major, major shoulder surgeries. Uh, one of them's a fighter. One of them's a hockey player. And and it made me think to myself, well, you know, dude, your shoulders aren't in great shape. I don't have anything that I know about is wrong with them. They feel great. They can do all their ranges of motion. But there is soreness and tightness. And I throw, you know, a thousand punches a week, maybe more, probably more than that, plus all the grappling, the weightlifting. So my whole body is banged up. So to me, I took it's. – I'm not only doing rehab – I go in there and I do the rehab, which, like you said, it's it's frustrating because your your pride is that you move from a two pound ankle weight to a three pound ankle weight to do your quad extensions, and you know you're still on crutches. But for the most part, uh, my the, the upper body stuff I'm doing is rebuilding my upper body, doing you know band exercises. My conditioning coach Phil has gone through; he, he he's given me a lot of just really dynamic exercises for my shoulders, you know, front and back, side the arms, the grip, the forearm strength, the the core, low back stuff. And as soon as I get my legs cleared to start bearing weight, which won't be long and walking, the amount of rebuilding I'm going to be doing on my legs, adding in two yoga sessions a week. And, you know, basically when they say, okay, you can walk and you're cleared to hit mitts and do boxing mitts. I'll wait one more week to do the boxing mitts. I'm going to give my body the extra time. I'm going to heal. And I'm going to, I really, like I said, I want to look like I'm on steroids. When I come back, and I want people to be like, "What is this?" Like, you know, I, I just want it to look freakish, like Shinya Oki, but strong as well, flexible, I mean, strong, and I, I have the chance to do it. So that's what I've been focusing on.
0: It, it almost sounds like to me, it's like almost, and I'm—I know you're—you're you're well past, you know, version 2.0 of yourself, but it's kind of like you—you're using this time to reinvent
1: yourself in a way. Uh, that's the only i mean it's either that or sit around and cry about it and let my low back you know i had at the end of the day like you said fighters are always going into fights uh hurt not injured injured i'd like to say say to be hurt is temporary injury is much longer lasting so all fighters go in with you could say small injuries or they're just hurting in general from the training and the wearing and tearing even of you know sparring three weeks out from the fight and only did drills and technical sparring and did crazy cardio and maybe some hard grappling, you still have wear and tear. It's still very hard training. So, um, you know, I'm just basically taking the time to You're going to get out of line. If you know, I don't always stand in both stances. So, one side's going to shift the hip forward more. I'm fixing those things. I'm doing the yoga. I'm stretching my body. I'm getting massage. I mean, my girlfriend is a massage therapist, so or fiance. My fiance is a massage therapist. And so whether whether she's actually massaging me or not, she's giving me techniques to do, using lac- lacrosse ball, foam rollers, and I just got. I'm getting back on on what I used to do when I was starting out and fighting. I did everything recovery. I iced my knees after every training session. I took ice baths. I would go to a chiropractor, a massage therapist. I'd get acupuncture. I was going crazy on what kind of supplements I could find, what kind of nutrition I could add into my diet to help, and I was so into that and lately I've gotten away from that and just added on extra training so it's been less recovery and then extra training on top of that and I'm paying the price so it's a chance to reset and I guess you could say just be be healthier and one thing good I did find out during the surgery it was only my meniscus and they looked at everything else all my ACL my PCL they looked at my joints and they said you don't have a single shred of arthritis they said all your other You know, ligaments and tendons look pristine. They're in great shape. So I I think that's, you know, the four or five years that I was training my hardest, I was also recovering and, and paying attention to my body the most.
0: You know, I think one of the things that, you know, from the outside looking in, and unfortunately, sometimes as a reporter, you know, we learn of fighters' injuries heading into a fight, which I would never report. I, and i know there's there's probably some reports that would do that but personally that's something i would never do i would never report that hey this this fire is going into a fight injure, injured but you know right. the the question becomes is do you, you know because you're you're an independent contractor you get paid when you fight and you know i i do independent contract work so i know that hey i only get paid when you know, right. ser- services are performed, and I think sometimes, you know, and, and we can point to various situations throughout MMA, whether we're talking about the UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, or, or any other promotion out there where we see fighters come back, and clearly they came back sooner than they should have. You know how? You know, I guess it's got to be how do you play with that decision of, is this, you know, because you, you want to get back in there as quickly as you possibly can, but I got to imagine that you that that's a decision you have to sit down with, not just, you know, your coaches, but also your management and say, okay, is, is this putting myself in the best position to succeed?
1: Right. Well, you know, for that, I've already kind of, I thought about those things because this is my first, I've had layoffs and things like that and injuries here and there, but this is my first ever surgery on a, on a joint, um, first arthroscopic surgery, so to me um, when I I, I'm taking it day by day to everything's a competition to me in the sense of like if I'm on my crutches and like I can't even tell you know right after the surgery and before I had the surgery while I was on the crutches Just, you know, something like going to the bathroom or brushing your teeth or, gee, dude, my mortal enemy, the shower. I'd start to stink after like a day and a half. My fiance's torturing me. She's like, you have to shower. I will help you. And I'm just like, I know how hard it's going to be because at the time I was in a lot more pain than I am now, you know, almost two weeks post-op. So it was – that wasn't fun, but I I got really competitive with it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to make every step perfect. I'm like trying to flex my hip like – everything's a competition day by day. And now I'm to the point where my leg is pro realistically, my legs probably about 10 days ahead of schedule, but I'm just treating it right on the normal schedule that the, the safe schedule that the surgeon and the rehab team have picked out. And um, it's, and the reason it's ahead of schedule is cause I'm, I'm, it's always a competition, even, even icing. I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, like as soon as it's swollen, I'm like, I'm going to get ice on you right away. I just like everything about this rehab process is a competition to me. So I see that same mindset three weeks into maybe they say, okay, you can start hitting pads and drilling. Now your legs good for that. You can drill your grappling and hit pads and hit the bag. Well, that three weeks of hitting the pad and hitting the bag is going to be, to me, that's going to be like training for the world title fight. I'm going to be so competitive at that and try to get the most out of that. So that, you know, when it comes time, when it does finally come time to say, are you ready for an eight week camp? Everyone's going to be saying, dude, you're more than ready. Go. Like, everyone will know that I'm ready. I just want to prove it my actions. I won't have to tell anybody I'm ready. It will be known.
0: How much of, That's... of the thought process you have in terms of, you know, handling the rehab process and everything is based on what you have seen other guys go through inside American Top Team?
1: Yeah, it's that. It's definitely that. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys go through injuries. Um, like way worse too. That's the other thing too. Here, just to make a disclaimer, it, it was such a small piece of my meniscus that it bucket handled. They saved 100 percent of the meniscus. They could have chopped it out and I'd be back sooner. But I, you know, if I had no arthritis in my knee and there's no reason to lose a piece, why not keep what my body gave me? So I chose to keep the meniscus. And um, so it was the most minor surgery as opposed to an ACL repair or a bicep tear or a labrum and rotator cuff repair with a, you know, there's so many crazy combinations of surgery I've seen over the last, you know, five to 10 years that what I had was so minor. So that I always keep that in mind that it's a much shorter recovery process. But um, yeah, seeing other guys in the gym with these injuries that last nine months until you're like completely clear to do just regular stuff. It's like okay, now you can do everything regular and you can just kind of start training again, but you've deteriorated over 9 months and they come back from that. So uh yeah, that definitely helped influence my positive attitude that I got the the best of a worst case.
0: You know, one of the things I always hear from fighters, you know, and it's more after the fact of, you know, they'll say, you know, well, I had this, this injury, I was able to work on this because of it being a knee injury. Are you actually able to do any work inside the gym physically
1: work, meaning like uh, training work? Yeah, like like training
0: work, like sitting there and maybe, you know, hey, you're throwing a punch as opposed to doing anything with your legs.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Nothing like that. Uh, yeah, because it's legs, there's no, like, I, I, I can watch grappling. But, I mean, other than that, I, like, I do all upper body stuff. Um, like, any any leg things that I've been doing lately, even before this, which the surgery, once the injury happened, I stopped, I didn't do anything. And then after the surgery, for a, the week after the surgery, other than um, the rehab itself, which I was going to the, you know, the surgeon's office for, which was like range of motion. And you were doing like, you were just trying to get your quad muscle to flex again. So that was all I did, um, for the, you know, last week, but this week I've started doing all upper body stuff. If I go to the gym, it's like, I'm doing, you know, uh, band work on my shoulders at all sorts of crazy angles, doing dumbbell work, kettlebell work with the shoulders, pull up holds, dips, uh, you know, rows and, butterflies, I went to LA Fitness yesterday, did another shoulder workout, did a pool swim where I just let my legs dangle and just swim with the upper body. So doing, you know, just as much as I can on the upper body, you know, if my lower body gets a little bit smaller, but the good thing is, is I'm already starting to do, basic exercises with the legs. So in another 2 weeks when I'm really able to expand even though I'll look a little disproportionate, I'll slowly but surely start transferring all the work I'm doing on my upper body into more on the legs. And I want my legs to be uh you know, strong and flexible a lot more so than they were before.
0: Yeah, by the way, you know, when it when it comes to the gym, I, I'm it's since we're now approaching near the end of the month of January, I don't know if you've seen it, but it seems like the gym, uh, the amount of people in the gym is getting back to normal. It's not like the first two weeks of January where I can't, yeah. like, I can't even get on a treadmill.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel you. It, it's amazing
0: to me. I, I, was, I was telling somebody this the other day. I, I almost had to go up to somebody in the gym because I saw them wearing a UFC fighter kit. I almost wanted to go up and conduct an interview of like, hey, did
1: you pay for this? Did someone give it to you? Like a, and, and start doing a yeah. Start running stats on how many people actually pay for those fighter kits.
0: Because I sit there
1: and uh, I mean, I mean, even at a UFC event, you don't see many of them. No, no. I mean, I mean, with all due respect to Reebok, whether their intentions are good or bad, those fighter kits suck. I mean, that's just well, my. No, here's a problem with them. They just look like crap. <laughs> well, the price points are <laughs> awful. I mean,
0: if you sat there and you know, I mean, and I mean, I think they're like seventy bucks, just like for like the regular shirt. Like, if that, you know, if that was like say a thirty or thirty-five dollar shirt, I think you would sell. You'd be able to sell them, but when they're priced at that price point, I, I just. I, I don't, I mean, unless you just, you know, you know, maybe, you know, you're, you're related to that fighter or, or whatnot yeah, they're I mean, I
1: remember, to their relatives.
0: Yeah. I mean, how, how many of your family members went out and bought a, 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 a fight kit of yours?
1: I don't, dude, I'll be honest. I don't even know to this day if mine was even ever on sales.
0: No, you can buy it. You can buy it for any you? fighter. You can go to their website oh. and you can, you can, uh, you can get any fighter you want.
1: I can tell you this, no one in my family including me, even knew it was available.
0: (laughs) That's just crazy. I mean,
1: they just they I just I those things are just awful. I mean, it's one thing if they had like said, okay, you know, we're going to take over and we have to be on all your stuff, but we need you. And, and even even if they had allowed the fighters to create it and they had censored some of the stuff on there what, for whatever reasons, I mean, that would have been something. But to take it over and then just turn it into squares and rectangles and go, this is passion. This is John. This is <laughs> a lot of stuff that really, really should motivate you. This is the UFC and this is Reebok. It's like Reebok is UFC. It's like, no, you're not. You showed up like the, in, in MMA time. You showed up in the last ten minutes and just started saying that, like, you know, you. Oh God, they just they pulled such a noob move. Like you said, like what Reebok did is basically like what that guy did wearing that UFC kit to the gym. That's what Reebok did.
0: Yeah, I, I there, there's some things that people wear to the gym that just baffle me. You know, I I I, I don't I, I I don't you know. And Sam Kaplan's talked about this on social media. I don't get the people who wear like a really nice baseball hat to the gym that you know you're just gonna sweat right through. Of course. I mean, like, I mean, unless you just like you know you you like buying hats every day.
1: I'm like, man. if you, I, you got I, a bad hair day or you just don't like your hair and you like your look with a hat, you know, get a hat that's fit for the gym. I mean, just buy you know, even yeah. if it likes if you you know, there's just some like i know what you're saying to just buy something that is not fit for the gym it is fit for like sporting events and like showing representing your sports team in social settings and you're just shitting on it at the gym i mean
0: yeah it's 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 amazing but uh you know there's there is one thing i want to mention about last week's ufc event um and have you ever seen on a fight night where someone's cup breaks
1: Wait what? Someone t- t- Tony
0: Martin's cup broke within like thirty seconds of the fight starting.
1: Wait what? No, I watched Tony's fight. I know I used to do, t- Tony trained with us for a little while. and I watched that fight. His cup broke.
0: Yeah, right in the first one they stopped it. He literally, they ended up uh, cutting off the um, the string to it. To help fix it, and literally, he takes his shorts off. He just has his compression shorts on, and he puts it inside the compression shorts, which they had like no towel. I mean, it, it and Fox was what? doing, yeah. It was I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't recall seeing that in a fight. I know one of the Bellator cutmen who was watching, you know, he tweeted that it happened back in the day in Bellator. I got to imagine that, you know, you know, that probably happens more often in the gym, but I can never
1: recall on a fight seeing that happen. I'll be honest. I've never seen or even heard of a cup breaking. Now that th- I think of it, it doesn't shock me. I mean, they're just some of them are just plastic, and you know a shin could definitely break that. But I've never heard or even heard. I've never even heard mention of a cup breaking before in yeah, training fights. Yeah. So that scares me. I mean that. because <sighs> I'm me. sitting there
0: go, it's not like you have a spare
1: cup <laughs> that you bring to the cage with the you. Fuck, no, no, I mean, I have a backup mouthpiece. Now I'm gonna start bringing spare cups to the to the arena for fights, man. Do you, now, do you bring the spare mouthpiece to the cage with you? Yeah, yeah, we bring it. We bring it.
0: Now, now you know, I take. Did you go to a dentist to get that that mouthpiece made?
1: The um, the spare mouthpiece, no. It's just a boiling bite that I've actually. It's a pretty good boiling bite that I've fought with. Uh, Actually fought with it like five times. Now the one that I have now that I fight with the jaws mouth guard, yeah, that one was made with at a dentist office,
0: which I know a lot of people have talked about. It as and I don't know if, how you feel on this, that you know, guys that don't do that, it's kind of a, a a bad move on their part.
1: I mean, I know, dude, I know some guys that fight with the Walmart bowling bites and kill it. They're just savages. So I, I don't hate on anybody. I you know, to me, like. As a fighter, you always kind of have in your head like what your style is, in the sense of like, am I just some savage who takes guys down and crush them? And you see like some of these sick D1 wrestlers who get pretty good at striking and get good at grappling overall. They'll just rock a five dollar Walmart boiling bite out to like an important fight and just kill it. You know, like look better than ever, not get hit, jaw talk, like looking good. And me personally, I like to think of myself more as an assassin. I like I like good equipment, you know. I like to do it smooth and tactful, and I like a good you know dental mouthpiece. I really, really do. And I mean, it looks cool, you know. You can put your logos and stuff on it. Jaws does a great job. So, and of course,
0: you're you're down there uh, in South Florida, which it's a. Uh... It's an interesting fight scene down there because I mean you have obviously several major teams down there and you know obviously there's a change going on with the Black Zillions uh, whether they're they're going to be around much longer. Of course, you got now Henry Hoof with, at his own gym, the Combat Club, where uh, a lot of uh, the Black Zillion fighters have ended up. Uh, I've not seen where Neil Melanson's a part of that team, and I think that that's ultimately going to be interesting to see what ultimately ends up happening with Neil Melanson because. Uh, you know there are there are fighters inside that Black Zillion team that were only there because of the fact that Glenn Robinson brought in Neil Melanson. But it, it's a weird scene because for shows down in that region, you know, you, you want to depend on ticket sellers, you know, guys that are go- and ladies that are going to bring in puts butts in the seats. But for a majority of the fighters down there, Steve, they're not from South Florida.
1: Yeah, I mean everyone, you know, even me. I have a decent following down here. I think I've done okay with some tickets from time to time because I have a lot of friends and things like that. But you're you're right. I mean, every, South Florida is it's kind of like a an East Coast Los Angeles, you know? There's all, just people from everywhere. I mean, everywhere down here, especially in the fight scene. God, that's one thing. And we'll just I, this is the only thing I'll say about it all night. If there's one thing Merrill Lynch was Wrong about targeting MMA with was calling it like if she was accusing us of being uninternational, like she was saying moments before, she is wrong because the South Florida MMA scene, I mean it there's people from everywhere, and you're right. you really have to market the gyms and the quality of the fighters as opposed to their names, which really doesn't sell to the gen- general populace down here. No,
0: I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that, you know, and, and I always say this from a reporter's aspect, you should go to a, a a regional scene, you know, I'm not saying you go to every regional show that's in your area, but every once in a while you should go there because, you know, you, you see things and it's always interesting because I always, when, when I go, I don't know if you're like this when you go to shows, but I people watch when I am at shows because. I naturally do. Yeah, it, it, it could be some of the greatest. Because usually you hear, you know, you hear just things that literally you just sit
1: there and laugh.
0: Um, Absolutely,
1: it's kind of a circus around the spectacle. I mean, I've heard, I got a video of a guy after Overeem beat uh, Junior DeSantos Santos in Orlando. I have a video of this guy for like a solid five minutes calling over him out we weren't sitting far from where the fighter walked in and out of the cage and when Overeem was walking out this dude was like yelling over everybody who was completely quiet because like nothing was playing this dude's yelling like i know you're ducking me Overeem." you know <laughs> like dude i mean yelling screaming. i got it on video man like i'll post it like I, I really ought to i wish it'd go viral this dude was so and he looked like heavyweight size but like fat and out of shape and this dude's just all about fighting Overeem and Overeem's ducking him. And, ah, it was ridiculous. I can only imagine what drugs or what, what he was drinking, what drugs he might've been on.
0: Well, you know, Very the Amway Center is not that far away from church street. I can say I was there that night and we enjoyed church street after the fight we were over.
1: We had a good time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we had a good time that night. Um, which I, I tell you what, you know, a lot of people ask me, they'll say, Hey man, what, what you don't want to go sit on press road. I'm like, nah,
1: man, I'm good. I'm going to sit
0: with the boys. We're gonna have a good yeah. time. We're gonna enjoy the fights.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the dude, the, the it is a spectacle around the. Oh, I'm sorry, a circus around the spectacle. You get some crazy people. You get cool people too. You know, you get a lot. Oh of cool yeah, people yeah. No create. question.
0: I mean, I, I think that you know, you know, I'll, always the thing that I find the biggest takeaway, and I think it's one of the biggest flaws that. Uh, you see um, in the regional side is, and you know, I know there's fans out there that hate the term ticket sellers. Well, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have anything to do uh, with anything, but it's, it's a part of the business of MMA And, you know, I was at a show recently where um, by the time the main event started, three quarters of the building was gone. And I was like, they had the wrong main event. Yep. I mean, we- I will
1: say this uh, my last fight and I, that was, I didn't have any expectations cause that was my first fight in Florence. And I, you know, my town. I just, I just didn't have any expectations. And it, people stayed for the whole fight card. It was a pretty long fight card. People stayed and got pretty crazy for the main event. You know, my fight. It was pretty nuts. Oh, I was, I was
0: doing an interview uh, this week with David Rickles, who's going to be in the co-main event of the Bellator card next week, which is uh, essentially in his backyard. It's nice. The, the, the deal with that, it's at the uh, the Star uh, Arena there in Mulvane. Which is literally, I think he lives like ten minutes from the, the facility. But the deal with that, the uh, venue has with Bellator, is that David Rickles has to be on the card because David Rickles on on his own is going to pack the place. And, and I was kind of, I was asking him, you know, along those lines of, you know, because David's also a promoter as well. He runs a show in Wichita, and I, and I said, God, I go, so- I said you're the co-main event. I go, you know, Melvin and Chidi and Jaquani are going to be the main event. I said three quarters of that place might exit out if your fights over, he goes, nah, man, Bellator makes me stay around, so I'll go into the crowd, I'll watch the fights with the fans.
1: That's sick, that's sick.
0: I was like, but you know what? That's that's a smart promoter move, though. Absolutely. Just have him stay in, the st- stay in the stands and, and sign autographs.
1: Absolutely, while well, there's a sick fight going on, and if he's excited about it, they're excited. That's smart. I mean, I always say, you know, I wish MMA got to a point Where it was the level of football. And here's, I I love football. I think it's a great sport. I enjoy it. I love the athleticism of it. I understand it. But one thing I never understood was how people love that so much, even when they don't play it, but they don't love fighting as much like even if they think it's cool maybe they respect it as much but they don't love the technicalities of it and i'm like dude fighting is a lot easier than football in the sense that like if you want to do technically do anything to do with martial arts you could just go out in your garage to play football you need to get a lot of guys at least i mean really to even play a fun flag football game you need at least 10 guys and it just takes a lot more organization than it does fighting so i always thought like Why isn't fighting by now, at least that it's on Fox, becoming one of those things to where people understand what's going on in butterfly guard and jiu-jitsu and this and that? And, like, you know, people understood it to the, like, when, for example, if when people watch George St. Pierre fights, and I understand you want to watch a fight for a finish, and even as a fighter, but if a fighter plays a smart defense for five rounds, you know, everyone says it was boring. He fought not to fight. You know, look at Mayweather. Everyone complains about his fighting fighting style. But when a football team wins a Super Bowl because they only they didn't let the other people score, but they only scored one field goal, they won a Super Bowl three to nothing. People go nuts about the defense and will make like memes and shirts and all sorts of crazy stuff about their defense because they understand the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I've always used this analogy with when you know football and MMA. Fighting is one of those things that I don't think you can kind of be half of one foot in, one foot out, you know, in terms of being a yeah. fan. You know, you can be someone who, you know, hey, you know, they don't love football, but, you know, if it's on, you know, um, you know, maybe you watch it with your friends. But may it's one of those sports. And, and I guess for me, um, you know, having worked all the years for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network, you know, there's people that I work with that I would call casual fans you know when yeah. it's a big fight they want to watch but then there's other people that you know I'm around that they could care less to 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 watch the event i mean one one of the stories that i i told uh, on a podcast uh during the season was we were actually on the road uh in the preseason for UFC 202 the uh rematch between connor and nate diaz so okay. i i had ordered the pay-per-view on, on the UFC app so we are on the bus heading to the airport um, cause we, we fly right back after the game is over. And literally, yeah. it's, I've got, uh, you know, my iPhone, and there's like five or six of us in the back of the bus watching the fight on, on the iPhone. And, and, one of, uh, my boss comes back and goes, What are you guys doing? I go, Oh, we're watching the fight. He goes, Oh, yeah, great. I'm coming back here now, too. And so, you know, and luckily, like, right as we got to the airport to, to jump on the plane, the fight had ended. But, you know, it's, uh, I, I think when you're around, when you get outside that, that MMA bubble, I think yeah. it opens up your eyes a little bit more of to the people who don't necessarily care. I mean, look my my wife is not an MMA fan. Yeah, um, honestly, how I got how I would get her interested in the fights back in the day because UFC really doesn't do these too much anymore is the countdown shows to where basically she would kind of figure out who she wants to root for, and who she wants to root Absolutely. against.
1: Absolutely, that's exactly how, yeah. Exactly. Those countdown shows are miracle workers on the, you know, the non-believers.
0: Yeah. I mean, but now it's, it's pretty much, uh, <clears throat> I don't know how how you take in fights, but for, for me, it's, uh, me and to my buddies, all we do is, uh, you know, we, uh, we go around each other's house for all the pay reviews and we just split the
1: cost. Yeah. 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 We, you know, so it, it works out different ways for me. And a lot, a lot of times I watch it with different people. A lot of times in Florida, we'll go meet people. And then like you just said, when I'm in South Carolina, and there's a good pay per view. I'll meet with someone, or people will come to our house, and we'll split the cost.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know, the MA scene is interesting. I, w- I was talking to uh, Mike Richmond, who's uh, going to be returning uh, to competition coming up on Friday night at the, the LFA show up in Minnesota. And uh, you know, and one of the things I'll say about Mike is, and he's he's been very open about you know testing positive for a pan substance. He, he's offered no excuses. He's been very brutally honest and i don't know how many fighters would would take the route that that he has taken um and i actually think it's probably gotten him more fans because he has been brutally honest yeah, with, yeah. Uh, about the situation yeah. and uh, i just know.
1: i don't judge anyone for using steroids i've never used them i really haven't i don't know anything about them but i don't judge anybody i don't care if guys wanted the juice i just don't care i don't see the big deal dude i just i don't know man i i think there's I, sorry, I won't ramble, but I just. Don't I, care. I think
0: it's it's you know what it, it's not hitting a baseball out of the ballpark. You know, I agree. With that. It, it's a it's a fist fight, you know, and I think that, um, you know, you you have seen a difference in in the MMA industry since there's been, you know, obviously Usada coming into the UFC, but you know, look, there's there's a lot of drug testing going on in Bellator. Yes, Bellator doesn't have their own program. But, you know, they're going into a lot of places. I'll give, you know, Bellator this. You know, they're doing, they're doing the international expansion, but one of the things that they have done is they've brought in Mike Mizzouli, who runs the Mohegan Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations. He's also the, the president of the Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sports, and he's doing drug testing for these events. And, and the one thing that ends up happening is uh, the fighters end up, are being licensed by the Mohegan Tribe. And since they're licensed by the Mohegan tribe, he can he can drug test these fighters out of competition, which in reality that's, you know, if if you're going to catch anybody on PEDs, it's going to be out of competition. It's not going to be in competition. You know, you, you have to, you know, if you know what you're doing, you're not going to get get caught uh, in competition. So out of competition is a thing to go there. But, you know, in terms of Mike, and you know, I was asking him, you know, because when I did the interview, I didn't want to harp on it. You know, I asked one question and, and essentially moved on. But I said, I go. You've been away from this sport in terms of competing for a year and a half. What, what, what are your takeaways? And you know, because obviously this industry's changed, and, and I'll relate that to you. You're sitting on the sidelines now. Are you, do, are you starting to realize you're looking at the game differently than maybe you would have been looking at the game if you were preparing for a fight?
1: And are you saying just sitting on the sidelines in general?
0: Yeah, just sitting on the sidelines in general the, the fact of, you know, that maybe you're you're watching more fights than yeah. you normally would and maybe there's some things catching your eye.
1: Yeah, it's definitely I mean you definitely take a step back and it comes with different emotions, a little bit of frustration, you know, a little bit of just natural uh, addiction qualities where, you know, you when I'm watching the training I'm watching, you know, I'm like Telling them to do stuff in my head. I'm like kind of like fiending out, like I need to be on the mat doing it myself, wishing for them to do what I want them to do. So there's a little bit of that involved. But at the same time, too, which I'd say the majority of my emotions are just focused, you know, I got a lot of other stuff going on in my life that needs attending to. So I'm trying to do that as best as I can without walking. And uh, when it comes to the MMA part, which is, a, you know, obviously a huge, huge part of my life. I, uh everything's just focused on getting better and not only getting better and back to where I was, but getting past where I was before I even start getting started. You know, that's the whole goal, if that makes any sense. Um, I'm not trying to make it a play on words. You know, I really want to get back to my ways of I used to do Bikram yoga non-stop. And I can have a 300 pound man. I've had Mark Hunt in my, when Mark Hunt was getting ready for Stephen Struve, he was at our gym and I had him in my butterfly guard with his full weight crushing my butterfly guard, heel to butt, you know, right now where my knee is, I can barely get it past 90 without it, you know, getting too much pain. But, you know, by, I'd say another six weeks, I'll probably have my heel to my butt. And then six weeks after that, you'll be able to put 500 pounds on it and it'll be fine. I mean, I had myself to a point where I was very flexible, um, but I wasn't as strong as I would have liked to have been. So I'm going to add that strengthening in there and, you know, like I said, just come back better than I was when I got hurt, which that was what frustrated me too is I was in the best shape of my life for this fight. I was in sick shape. I was killing it and training before the injury happened.
0: You know, I, you've mentioned this a couple of times, and i got to imagine that there's going to be fighters who listen to this that can understand what you're going through, that frustration level that you have, you know, and how do you not let that get you down,
1: though? You just keep yourself busy. What's that quote? It's a, it's an old Southern quote, idle idle time, or idle time is the devil, or idle hands are the devil's play tool or whatever, mm-hmm. play thing. Um, that old quote, you know, I just keep busy. and And also – it sounds kind of stupid, you, like you said. You know, I wrote that article. So, whether I'm working on another article for that same website, I have a friend of mine named Mark Tullis who uh, Tullius writes books and does podcasts about MMA. He's actually writing that book that's almost done called Unlocking the Cage, and he actually is letting me write books for him in a, try, a series called Try Not to Die. So I'm, I'm writing books for him and it's a, it's kind of short stories, you know, hundred hundred fifty hundred, 150 to 160 pages, but they're really fun for adults. Kind of like horror, not horror stories, but crazy stories where you try to pick, you know, your outcome. So I'm doing a lot of stuff to keep my hands busy. And when I'm focused on MMA, it's like I said, it's all about getting better. You know, as soon as it's time to, you know, think about something to do with fighting, I start doing breathing exercises and stretching my upper body or I go to the gym and start doing upper body stuff and. I start yoga soon. I start doing my pool therapy soon. I, I just have so much stuff I'm ready to get started on. So,
0: Yeah, and for people who haven't read the article that you wrote for MMASucka.com, it's called The Differences Between Fighters and Martial Artists. And it was a really interesting read. And, and I remember we we actually started texting back and forth after you know, I, I read your article because I, I thought it was, it was such a fascinating thought process because – a is coming from a fighter's point of view uh, of what you go through you know you know it kind of briefly explain what are the major differences between a fighter and a martial artist
1: i mean you can it, and and it's no that's the whole thing the differences in both ways i'm not meaning to disrespect fighter i know guys that just fight for paychecks and really don't care about you know learning the martial arts and I respect them too. That's the thing is it wasn't like passing judgment or anything. That was just my take on things. There's a difference, you know, and the difference is just in general, you know, do you, a lot of fighters are trying to get to a certain point, whether it be a paycheck or whether it be, you know, a win because they just really like to make a certain, whatever their motives be for winning the fight, whether it be money, whether it be ego, whatever it is, they're trying to get to that certain point and that's it, you know, Um, and fighters and, or martial artists and generally just like the process, like whether they were getting paid or not. Like, for example, if I was born with, you know, really bad eyesight and I had, you know, some type of disability that kept me from actually being allowed to compete in MMA, but I had already found martial arts, I would be doing jujitsu competitions. You know, I'd be finding a way to compete, finding a way to train. It's the lifestyle. You know, a a martial artist just loves the lifestyle. Going in, training the the social. You you know how it is on a jujitsu mat or on a kickboxing Mm -hmm. mat or training in general. If you're around cool people, it's always good people, and they always say, you know, you hang around bad people that bring you down, you're gonna get brought down. But when you're constantly in an and growing and being good people you naturally everything else in your life goes up so when i'm training and i'm in shape and everything's going well other things start going well i start making more money whether it be training clients or me you know doing privates or my you know little investments start doing better whatever it is things always start going better so i think the big difference is martial artists do it for the love of it fighters are they're just trying to get to an end game. Martial artist, there's no end game. It's just you know, it's the lifestyle.
0: You know, one of the things, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. And I've talked about you know, and I think fans always you know have that. There's fighters who get to a certain point that you say just don't want to see them fight anymore. Um, you know, let's and people are talking about that with BJ Penn, and you hope that there's somebody around BJ that kind of says, look, this is why you shouldn't be fighting anymore. But I also know that as an athlete, you want to go out on your own terms. And and I remember uh, this is years ago. I I was talking to a football player and, you know, we were, you know, something came on television and, and I said, I was like, well, how do you know when it's going to be time for you to, to walk away? And and he said, he goes, look, my body will tell me I'm not going to be that guy that hangs around just for a paycheck. But in fighting, it's different. Um, you know, there could so, be financial reasons of why you're hanging around, but, but for you, have you even thought about what's going to come into that decision when, you know, at some point, uh, you know, in your career of, I mean, obviously you want to go out on your own terms, but I mean, cause you, you don't want somebody else to tell you, Hey, you need to stop fighting.
1: Oh yeah. I, I love what, you know, what you just said about you, you'll know when your body tells you, and um there's just a way to do it gracefully, you know. I mean and everyone's got everyone's different, everyone has a different career. But me personally, I think it would just be a matter of, you know, whether it was off a loss or a win would probably figure it out more so in the gym beforehand and, and in my mind mentally. I think it's also a big mental thing. And when I decided that, I dude, I, I you know, I'll I'll go I'll go chase grappling super fights. I'll go try to grapple some crazy MMA fighter. Like, for example, you know, if I decide to retire, because not everybody is a Dan Henderson or a Mark Hunt, you know, not everybody is like that. When I decide to retire, it'll be like, okay, well, let me take, instead of doing what BJ Penn did where he fought Yair Rodriguez, I would have, I if it had been me and I was BJ Penn, I would have tried to set up a super fight at ADCC with Khabib Nurmagomedov. Who wouldn't want to see that? a super fight at like 165 with Khabib and BJ Penn. Come on. You know what I mean? And that's sick. Like that's world-class. Like you're still getting the same feelings you get. I mean, they had Bruce Buffer commentate Laborios, you know, or do the the introduction for his with Mario Sperry. So, I mean, I don't see why you can't translate it over into the grappling. I guess if you have neck problems or you have certain injuries, you know, like a knee or something. But if you've got that problem and it keeps you from grappling, you shouldn't be fighting anyway.
0: Uh, you know, you, a
1: compete, though. you know, there's always a way to compete, even if it's a, you know, if you've got to be a writer and be the most competitive writer, it doesn't matter. There's always a way to take out that competition and stay involved in martial arts.
0: You mentioned about uh, Master Laborio, and obviously, you know, fans are, are well aware of seeing him in corners. Is, is there anything that, uh, you know, maybe we don't know about him? Maybe there's a cool story with him? Maybe some interaction you've had with him?
1: Oh, I love Levo. He's... I got I I have a lot a lot of fun funny stories I mean a lot of the stories I have with Lebo really they're not even funny they're just like good like they're just stories about him coming you know being motivational or him doing something or saying the right thing or cornering and giving the right advice so a lot of them aren't like you know super funny I'm trying to think of something right off the bat I uh because, I God, I've known Lebo. So I can tell you he he surprised me when he gave me my brown belt. But he's known for doing that. He'll shock guys with a yeah. belt promotion or something. Um, the first time he cornered me was against Colton Smith. And I'll never forget. he Like, when Lebo – I can tell you this. Lebo at all times is, like, pretty much behaving like he's in church. Like, whether he's around kids or not, you would think Lebo like, a preacher or something, you know? <laughs> He really would, and it's not like he's being arrogant or anything. It's not like he—you don't want to be around. Him. It's like, oh, look how Levo's coming. He's not like that, you know. He's around sailors all day, but his persona is just—he remembers names really, really, really well. Like he has a freakish ability to remember names, and he'll, uh, like, he'll—he'll he'll keep that persona. But when you go to a fight, and if the fight gets heated, like my fight with Colton Smith. I'll never forget, like, you know, he had that persona around me my whole time knowing him. And then in the fight, Colton kept trying to punch me off the glove touch. And Lebo was like, you know, dropping F bombs. And so he's like, don't you touch his gloves again, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, like, he just got really like, he went, he took it from zero to 100, you know? And I had never seen that side of him. So that was, you know, funny. He's definitely, when, when Lebo turns it from zero to a hundred, you know, it's a thousand miles an hour when he's in the corner, he, he ain't playing games. And I imagine it's like that when he's competing or when he was, you know, doing that, all that stuff back in the day in pride.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, and there's, a, there's always interesting stories that, uh, that you hear in the gym, but I also know there's a a very interesting story that has been told to me in the past about when you got the call, to fight in the UFC because obviously it was a dream. I remember, um, you know, when you were supposed to fight in Orlando. You know, you know, we ended up you know, you know doing an interview over there where you know it, it didn't didn't work out. But ultimately, in the end, you get into the UFC. You were actually supposed to fight up there uh, in Virginia. Who, who gives you the call to let you know you're in the UFC?
1: Yeah, that it was a man. That whole thing was just crazy because. Um and I've had those types of calls before where it's like, hey, you might you're on call basically you're on call in a waiting room for the UFC and you might get picked kind of deal. Um I've had those before since then, but this time it was uh you know I was I got a call before I even left for Virginia. I I was coming off the show, so I was going to Virginia to cut to one seventy to prove to the UFC because Dana had claimed he'd let me give me a shot if I showed him I could make the wait. So I was trying to make the weight at 170 to fight Anthony Lemon, who ended up – he wasn't making the weight. So they had called us a couple of days out from the fight and asked if we could meet at 85, which we agreed to because I just needed a fight at that point. And um, the card that I in Florida that they were having at the uh, Hard Rock, which is like 15 minutes from where I live – that whole card was falling apart due to some type of visa issues yeah. with Brazil. I don't, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember that. There was a lot of issues with fighters not getting their visas, and a lot of the fighters on that card were foreign. So, like, I mean, I think it was upwards of like eight fighters dropped off the card. So yeah, you're, you're, it you're,
0: was uh, so- the it was it was with Brazilian fighters that they couldn't. Um, yeah. th- there was a there was an issue in the system, the visa system, where they couldn't, and a lot of guys got opportunities to
1: fight on that card. Exactly. A lot, a lot of guys got opportunities. It wasn't just me who got the last minute call, but you know, with, I'm with sucker punch management. So they, they're really good management company. They know, you know, um, they know a lot of people with it. So right away, once that card fell apart, they called my management, called me and let me know, Hey dude, you know, Just know you could be on call. So I was like, okay, I might not even go to Virginia. I'm going to stay here in my hometown and train for an extra couple days for whoever my opponent is, and then I'll have a week to cut weight. That was my thinking. So it turned out, you know, hey, you're not going up to – you're not going to fight in the UFC. Your spot got filled. Go up to Virginia. So I was disappointed, but at the same time, you know, you're still fighting for a chance in the UFC in my eyes if I win this fight in Virginia. I get to Virginia, and it's at 85 So I'm not really cutting much weight. I'm just kind of hitting pads one night at at the local gym that was letting us train there. And my manager, you know, Dave, comes rushing in the room. Because it was also the fight was in my manager's hometown. It was in, you know, Arvello's neighborhood. So he runs in the room while I'm in the boxing ring. And he has this look on his face. Because I'm with my boxing coach, Chuck, who's pretty old school. And I know Dave. Like Dave, what you know, a fighter in the middle of like an even not an intense session, but a detailed session. Me and Chuck are like going over important stuff. And Dave ran in and goes, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Steve, Steve, Steve. He interrupts everything. So I knew right away. And before Dave said anything, I go, let me guess. I'm in the UFC. And he goes, yeah. And I just started like laughing. I go, we know anybody? He goes, no details yet, but you'll find out soon. So we literally finished the mid-session, got pretty excited. And slowly but surely from there, you know, got all the details about who, uh, what, you know. You get all the details, what network you're going to be on, Fight Pass, Fox 4, all that stuff. Um, So that started trickling in and it was an exciting experience. So, net, you know, it was an exciting experience getting into the UFC and getting the call for the second fight. The results didn't turn out well. So, next time, I'm imagining it's going to be a really crappy experience getting the call for the UFC, but the results are going to be, you know, awesome
0: yeah it's uh it's all it's always interesting to to hear those stories you know and of course you've been very public uh you know there there's no way you would ever make one seventy but you know the the next season the ultimate fighter they're gonna start filming it here uh you know really shortly they just announced cody Garbrandt and t j Dillashaw are going to be uh the coaches for the season as i've previously said the the only downside to that situation is the fact of you know we're gonna have to wait to July to see those guys fight, and who knows maybe it ends up being. You know, a, a season that's uh, I guess will be team, the, all the drama of Team Alpha Male coming to a television set near you uh, coming up in yeah. April. But it, it's 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 a they're calling it Redemption. It's going to be you know fighters who have uh, competed on the reality show in the past, and there's also going to be current UFC fighters on the show. And the UFC officially has not come out, but you know you can go anywhere online and you can see the rumored uh, cassettes on there, which is going to be 170. If it, it, let's just hypothetically say that three months ago, you know, they come to you and say, okay, we got a spot on the alternate fighter, but it's at 170. Do you even consider it?
1: Uh, I would say what do they do when you miss weight? Do they let you fight anyway once at least and then kick you out of the tournament but let you in the UFC after? (laughs) Because I know I wouldn't make the weight, you know. But if it was 185, you're like, like, put me on a plane, I'm there. Oh, if they gave me the chance? And it worked out in the time where my leg was going to heal or my leg was, if I was just in, I mean, because I'll tell you, regardless of all the, like I said, you know, oh, I had this problem with this and I'm fixing it now with my leg. I was in sick shape for the fight that I had coming up on the 28th. I mean, I was in really good shape. I was at a good point. Not many injuries at all. I mean, like not many like little small things. I just felt good, man. And, uh, yeah, if they had called me for 85 and shape like that, I, I oh, dude, yeah. Absolutely. I would have gone out on there and, and ended a couple of people's careers. There really? wouldn't be much redemption for anybody.
0: If the rumors are true and Julian Lane and Junie Browning are a part of this cast, it could be, from the reality show aspect, it could be interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Uh, it's going to turn into the Kardashians. She's going to eventually be a guest coach, man. I can see it coming.
0: <laughs> I, I tell you what, there what? was a part of me that I was like... Just... <laughs> There was part of me was oh, like, are God. they going to put CM Punk on this show?
1: Please do. Please I'm telling do. you, God, I think I think we, are to... I,
0: I fully believe we will see CM Punk in the, in the UFC cage at some point.
1: I I like the uh, I like the the idea of putting him on the Ultimate Fighter. I mean, hell, if you want to sell a show and maximize that type of guy's co I mean, dude, if there's ever a way to sell it. I mean, I guess you'd ultimately have to pay him for going on the show, which is, you know, not something they normally do. But you know what, dude? If it was me, like if I was, let's say CM Punk was 85 magically and I was on the show like you had just said, and they said, okay, you know, everyone else is coming on the show for nothing, you know, except the opportunity to get in the UFC and the contract. Um, but CM Punk's going to be getting paid, you know, whoever know who knows how much of this and the spot, like let's say basically per episode that actually airs CM Punk made 250 grand per episode. If they said that's the case, I'd say who cares? He brought in more, you know, he's the one who brought in the viewers, but all those viewers are now going to go buy my t-shirts. They're going to follow me on social mm-hmm. media where I plug my products and, you know, people, People wanna whine and complain and they don't want to accept the market for the way it is. I understand complaining, but at the end of your complaints you have to accept that life is the way it is and you've got to find a way to adapt to it. Especially M M A. If there's ever a sport that changes more, it is M M A, you know. So you've gotta like Yeah, you gotta just be ready for the change. So I, I think they ought to let it you know, put a guy like CM Punk on that show, even if you gotta pay him
0: yeah, I mean, because look, if if the UFC let him go, you know, Bellator would put him in a fight.
1: Absolutely,
0: and Bellator would probably That's find a better true. opponent for him.
1: Yeah, because they made a, yeah. they made a
0: massive I'm, mistake in putting him against Mickey Gall. I mean, I mean, Mickey went yeah. down the ATT, and I had people telling me like, look, you know, you know, is this kid UFC ready at this point? No, but he was going to get there.
1: Oh, yeah. No, dude, like the people that Mickey's beat based off the grappling I experienced with him have not surprised me at all. And that's not a knock on anybody. I mean, I just know where a guy like Sage's grappling is and obviously a guy like CM Punk. And then I felt Mickey's grappling. And it's like, dude, if unless someone catches a lucky punch, which could happen, you never make bets, you know, if it hits the mat, these guys are done. And I, they are the guy that Mickey beat his UFC debut, that's who they should have given yes. CM Punk. Oh
0: no right. doubt. Yeah. Yeah, that that was they that's that's the fight they should have made right from the
1: start. And that I mean, fight might have been a war. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, but cuz I mean, look, it's it it would have been the UFC's best interest for CM Punk to win. You know, it's it's just like I mean, it's that's why it's, you know, the 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 MMA business is tough because, you know, you never know what's going to happen on a given night.
1: Dude, the MMA business shows no mercy. It chews up its most beloved stars. It does what it wants, when it wants. It never goes according to plan. And you know what, man? That's what people should sell it for. That's what the UFC, you know, the UFC, I understand what they've been doing. And Hey, dude, I'm just an 0-2 guy in the UFC. I'm not a billionaire who made a company out of nothing. I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just saying in general... I feel like you said, like when you get these big stars build up. Let's be honest Connor's 0 2 against Nate Diaz. I, I, he did really well in the rematch. He did good in the first fight. I'm a fan. I like the guy. He lost the fight, he got his ass beat both fights. But, you know, th- so you can't protect these moneymakers forever. And that's what I don't think they should be protecting them. I think they should ex- it completely sell the sport for what it is. They should sell it as, hey, man. Anything can happen, which they do to some degree, but it's like there's nothing predictable in this. You know, the, like Conor McGregor, like when a guy loses, it just shouldn't be as big of a deal. It shouldn't be – they shouldn't be selling them off the fact that like, oh, they can't be beaten or this guy's the next unbeatable thing. It shouldn't be sold off that, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean – I don't know. I mean, you look back at the last UFC pay-per-view. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was a fight that it, – it was interesting to me because I, w- I was watching it at, at a buddy's house and I was around – a bunch of you know a couple of hardcore fans, but mostly casual slash non MMA fans. And and before the main event started, I go look, you know, I go, I'll count every dollar I have in my wallet right now. I'm gonna tell you this fight's not gonna last long, and a man Nunes is gonna is gonna win by knockout. You know, it wasn't it? Was, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't hard to the. I said, I go because once she stops that first you know attempt of a takedown. This is, she's in for a long night. And then also I kind of knew is uh, you knew once, once a man land that first punch, it it was, it was pretty much over from that point. But you talk about MMA, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I I would have never predicted Cody Garbrandt would beat Dominic Cruz in the way he beat Dominic Cruz. I really thought that if Cody was going to win that fight, it was going to be in the first 10 minutes.
1: Absolutely. Not even dude. Yeah. He, who thought he would come out there and out Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz, but in his own style? Yeah. Would you have called that? I mean I No, would.
0: no. You you have ne- I mean you have never because but there there's nights where you see guys that you know what, they it's that transformation and, and that was a night, you know, for Cody Garbrandt and, and Cody has a fighting style that everyone loves. I mean he's going out there looking to you know knock out uh you know his opponent as quick as possible and you know the UFC's looking for stars you know it's you know with with you know, UFC 207 the biggest winner that night was Conor McGregor because Conor McGregor is the is the biggest draw in in the UFC and tell me who's number 2 if it's not Ronda
1: yeah i mean well, the it's the Lunds- biggest draw if she had continued doing what she was doing i think she would be bigger than Conor but well, You're right. O'Connor it's it's taken.
0: it's this point of like you know you you look at you know some of the fighters like you know people say well what about Nate Diaz? We really don't know what Nate Diaz's drawing power is because my response to that will be is if he's not fighting Conor McGregor, can he pull pay per view numbers?
1: Yeah, I wonder about the pay per view numbers. I will say this, and this is. I like you said, it'd be interesting to see his pay per view numbers without the right fight given to him. Like you said, Connor could fight anybody and it's going to draw yeah. numbers. Eight's got to be the right people. But I will say, when i uh, my birthday in 2015 yeah, 2015, I was at the UFC in Orlando. Uh, that was what I was talking about, um, you know, when that crazy guy was screaming yeah. at, over him. That same night, uh, Nate B Michael Johnson. And, dude, that crowd, you know, literally across the country from where Nate's from, was so oh, yeah. pro-Diaz. It was nuts. I mean, the whole crowd was, like, not only pro-Diaz, but, like, they were, like, seemed like they were hardcore fans of his. You know what I mean? Like, they were, like, Don't, like yelling out 209 and stuff, and they were, like, yelling slap him, slap him, like, saying things like, you know, like they had watched his fights before. So that interested me to see that he at least – Like you said, who knows how much of that crowd actually came to see him, but he at least, uh, he won the crowd. That's for sure. One of my
0: biggest takeaways from that night was the first fight on Fox was Rana Marcos and, uh, Carolina and no one in that building cared. I mean, it was like, everyone was just having conversations in the stands and I'm sitting there going, man, this is bad. This is not good. When it's the first fight on, on Fox and no one in the stands cares.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think well that, and you know, do you do you you tell me because, like I said, all my stuff I take with a grain of salt. But I think too, do you think that comes from a lack of marketing the fighters as opposed to marketing the brand? You know, they're oh, always. I market- think that, I think People
0: that's see- part of it, but I think also, um, the fighters can't depend on the UFC to market them. They, no, you know, because there's a lot of things you can do that don't cost you anything.
1: Oh, absolutely. You, you got to make, you care. know, in terms
0: of of social media, um, you know, there's, there's ways to interact with the fans that, you know, were not around several years ago. I mean, you know, you know, maybe you want to do a, a, a video blog, you know, or, you know, absolutely. about, you know, or even just sitting there and just you know hopping on a, a periscope or a Facebook live chat. I mean there there's there's ways fighters can promote themselves with without the UFC's help. Now, I mean Conor McGregor is a different story because Conor can just, you know, simply sit there and just send a tweet out and he doesn't need to show up to a press conference. That I mean, he can send a tweet out to promote his own fight. You know, like, you know, Woodley and Thompson who, you know, right now they're on the media tour. They need to go out there and and promote their fight. I mean, look, UFC two hundred nine. You know, for the hardcore fan, I mean, awesome. Woodley Thompson, great, great rematch there. And then you know, right. Khabib and Ferguson, the fight that you know we everyone has wanted to yeah. see for a long time. Now, it may not do yeah. well on pay per view, but for the hardcore fan, that's that's an that's awesome one two punch. Uh, the
1: yeah. UFC's putting out there. I wonder to you know I and you tell me what you think. Khabib seems like a guy that. Is starting to figure out how to market himself, and has been for a while. Like just kind of his attitude. I've seen. I put it this way, from my little corner, I see a lot of stories about Khabib even before I really knew who he was. Like I knew he was the guy that I watched T-Bow fight one time, but other than that, I would just see these stories about like, oh, Khabib says this, Khabib the grappler. Like he, he seems to be a guy who's been able to hype himself, especially for a Russian guy. He's done really well in the American and, market, I think. And himself. Part of-
0: and part of that key is he's learned English. You know, I, I think sure. that's where you can look at some fighters. I, I will point to Jose Aldo as a prime example of this, of not learning English. I think is all, you know, I, I understand why you sit there and say, maybe you don't want to learn English. I get it. But I, right. I point to a guy right. like Junior Dos Santos. You know, how Junior, and I remember, I mean, back, you know, early on as UFC run, having a conver- you know, doing a radio interview with him. And you know, you know, and he, I committed him how well his English was, and, and he told me. He said, "He goes, I actually just watched The Simpsons. That's how I I learned oh. English." Um, you know, and I forget. I was talking to a fighter the other day, and, and they were talking about how um, uh, Vulcan Olsmer, who's going to be, uh, you know, the co-main event of the Titan Show on, on Saturday, as he talked about how you know he's learning English. It, it's it's part of the game, and to get yourself out there and. and to To get people and Khabib and his management, uh, he's rep by uh, Ali Abdelaziz and Dominus Management. They've done a, a very good job, and this is one thing I'll say about this. And I know people will will, will crap on Ali, or you know, where you, he he is tweeting out some things for his clients, folks. There's a lot of fighters out there that they're not sending those tweets out. They're sent by their managers. Yeah, and and I don't, and I have no issue with that.
1: I think that's a smart move market, man, market at the end of the day, man, regardless, if people aren't talking about you, it's a bigger problem than them talking bad about you. You know, it it is, you know, it's like, you always would rather be the good guy in MMA than being no, the no guy, the first fight on the card that people are, you know, getting food for.
0: Yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, I think the key thing on social media
1: is you got to interact with your fans absolutely and i mean it's just the energy too when you come out i mean like i remember i was on my first like my that card on cfa in miami when i fought colton smith we were the second fight of the night and when i walked out i was i wasn't like screaming but i had like an exciting song i was intense i always carry my little south carolina flag so i had some type of gimmick with me you know um my song was intense like i said and and i was like you know looking at the crowd and like you have to have an energy about you that makes people care you have to have confidence in yourself and not only that the fight was super super back and forth competitive entertaining and ended with a face flat knockout so you have to go out there one not only do you have to fight well you have to have a good energy and you have to promote it's a spectacle these people as much as you wish they were there just to see the fights and you could just step in the cage and start working that's they're there for the spectacle you know
0: yeah it's uh by the way is there is there a go to uh, walkout music for you
1: ah uh, not really it changes from time to time but I'm thinking about sticking with one I'll know when the right time is to stick with just one and like make that your you know California kid is to what California kid is to your eye favor or yeah. california California oh, Love. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think it's really, it's,
0: I think it's, that also helps build your brand when, when people know Absolutely. when that song, you know, um, I mean, you think of like iconic, you know, walkout songs, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously Uriah Faber and, and California Love. Um, you, you think of Vanderlei Silva and, and uh, Sandstorm. Um yeah you know there there's just there's some fighters it's just it, it it becomes iconic and I think that's part of building your brand
1: For sure. Have you heard you ever heard that song Clint Eastwood by the Gorillas? Yes. I think I that would be a song I could make like my permanent walkout song. I I've, I've heard I've been listening to that song since I was in like 5th grade. It's still cool to me now, you know. So I'm like, well, since the time you were like 10 to 26 it's still cool to you. I think you could stick with that. Actually, I'm not even going to lie. It got cooler to me because I can understand the lyrics better now, like know what they mean or are referencing. So well, yeah. I think, I think that will eventually be my permanent walkout song. It's got the rhythm. It's got the lyrics. It's not, it's no, not too much cussing so it could even go on you know, Fox or whatever. Yeah. I think it's going to be the one.
0: Well, I think that's also part of it. I think that I wish the UFC would play more of the walkouts. I mean, obviously, you get it during the during a pay per view event, but from from the television card and and kind of helping you know build that fighter brand instead of the 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 market being the UFC brand. You know, help help build these fighters.
1: Well, right. You know, you could do instead of, for example, like you just said. Okay, instead of taking that when it comes time for the fighter to walk out. Instead of going to this Reebok commercial, and I'm thinking about—I know they want to maximize profits. I know they got a big billion-dollar debt on them. But here's how I'm thinking to do that, from a fighter's perspective. Why are you going to spend? And also a fan's perspective. I know so the majority of people in my life, as much as I love MMA, are not MMA fans. So I do know, you know, what it's like to not give a damn about MMA. Most of my family could care less. Most of my a lot of my friends could care less, other than the fact that I'm in it. So, you know, when you get all these people and all of a sudden you tune to this cheesy Reebok commercial while the fighter's walking out and it's, you know, some horrible song in the background and it's going, this is dedication, this is family, (laughs) this is blah, 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 and you're making up all this horse crap and then, you know, your logo is a bunch of squares and Reebok. Instead of doing that, why don't you, if not show the fighter walkout, why not show like a hype video for the fighter like a quick 30 second segment about like you know i'm just making i'm completely making this up uh you know uh ronda rousey is you know was a judo champion and blah 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 and after her father died this and that and now she's driven to be a champion in his name and amanda is, you know the first openly gay ufc champion like you said uh, talk find some story spit it out for 15 seconds for each one of them, and while you do that, you have Reebok subliminally all over the place. So they actually are associating what MMA is with Reebok, not some fake image that you came up with and decided to add squares and rectangles to. Yeah, I mean, that, that's you the know, thing. Uh, like you know, it's like something to do with the fighter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, to me, and and I just kind of feel like the promotion of UFC 207 it's almost like they did not think of the fact of, well, what happens if Amanda wins this fight? You know, and, just, and that's where I, I just, I, I remember, you know, sitting around with a bunch of people and there was, uh, you know, a guy sitting next to me that I, he was a buddy of mine I'd never met in my life. And, um, you know, he was he was talking to me and he, and he knew that, you know, I, I reported on the sport and, and do podcasts. And he said, he goes, he goes, explain to me why they didn't promote the fact that uh, Amanda is the first openly gay UFC champion. I go, that is a question a lot of people are asking in the MMA industry.
1: I wonder. I And you know what? I'll give – this isn't taken away from Amanda. This is actually giving her credit as a person because I, I like Amanda. I liked that. I didn't even know she was gay when she got to the team. She was just a really nice person. So I just – I like Amanda as a person. But the thing that's funny to me too is – I've heard them ask her about it. Like they asked her about it after she beat Misha at the press conference. They were like, hey, Amanda, you know, does it mean anything to you to be the first openly gay uh, women's champion or UFC champion? And she's like, "I I mean, not really. She was like, I'm just the champion. She was like, you know, basically she doesn't like her whole relationship with Nina and stuff like she don't. It's not something she promotes like, oh, I'm gay and like rubs it in people's face. Like, you should accept this. She's just to her. She's like really humble about it. She really just doesn't care one way or another. She's like all that matters. I think she said this at the press conference. She's like, I don't think it's a big deal at all. She's like, I, you know, all that matters is that I'm really happy and I'm the champion. And like she just kept going. So maybe it's the fact that she wouldn't even really roll with it. You know, she really doesn't seem to care. Like she's not one of those like, you know. Lesbian rights activists or anything like that. She doesn't push it in anyone's face. It's just, hey, this is this is the love of my life. We love to train together. I'm a champion. She's in the UFC. You know, they don't. I don't know. She, she doesn't seem to promote it too much.
0: Well, I mean, and also, I mean, the thing about it is, is that was a life changing fight for her. You know, I mean, don't don't even look at the payday she got the the disclosed pay, which is the check that that she got on on fight night from the commission, where she made that the life changing money is on the back end with the pay-per-view points. And that's where, I mean, that that's money that she's going to be able to retire on one day.
1: Oh, I mean, shoot, I, w- I hope it was that. And if it's that, and also just the money she's, shoot, dude, she could just go around teaching seminars. Really, I'm not saying she should. She's better than this. But I'm saying if she really had to, she could teach money off the, or I'm sorry, teach seminars and make money off saying, hey, I'm the girl that beat Ronda Rousey. I mean, R- Rousey brought that many eyes to that that fight and to go out there and do something as, you know, boss as she did, you know, you can live off that, just that credential for a long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, Rhonda brings eyeballs to the television set that normally don't watch and, and, and Connor. Um, it's a different type of eyeball. I, I you know, con, you know, Rhonda, I think for the most part brings a female audience that normally would not watch MMA events where Connor brings that casual sports fan that you know, yeah. it, it's you know, in in a way, it's like Floyd Mayweather in, oh, in boxing, where Floyd brings that casual sports fan to a boxing event that, for instance, say, wasn't watching boxing last Saturday night on Showtime, you know, for sure, you know, and for and sure. those and, and look, and this sport needs that, it, you know, it, it needs. Look. Uh, you know, it, it's like I saw people kind of you know talk about the television ratings for this past Sunday's card. of saying, hey, it wasn't as good as they've done uh you know previous uh, Sundays in January. I'm like, at the end of the day, you still you had 1.6 million people watching the main event. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's it's it, I mean, you're still talking. It's a it's a lot of people, and I mean, look at the end of the day, the UFC you know they they have to develop stars. I mean, it, it's like it, every time I hear this, well, they need to find the next Conor McGregor. No, you got to find whoever it's like, you never want yeah, to, exactly. you know, it, it's like when people would say, um, you know, you need to find the next Michael Jordan. No, there's only one Michael Jordan, you know? Yeah. There's it, not just
1: one, but it's not just one recipe. That, there's only one Michael Jordan recipe. You're right. But there's not just one recipe to make stars as big as Michael Jordan or as tasty as that recipe.
0: But this is my thing about Conor. What, 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 what amazes me about him is you know, everyone points to the promoter, Conor McGregor, when he's getting people excited in his fights. The Conor McGregor I like to listen to is a Conor McGregor after a fight. He, he, he gives you so much he's a very humble guy and he tells you exactly what he was trying to do. And to me, that's a Conor McGregor yeah. I love to listen to. I mean, and look at Dominic Cruz after he lost. And I mean, he's standing there yeah. in front of the media for 30 minutes and talking to it. And I think that's where for a lot of MMA fans and the, the talk of why there is a hatred for Ronda Rousey is the fact of she doesn't handle losing well at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why, dude, that's what I really – and this isn't me trying to be arrogant or anything like that. I just really think in general if, if I can get on a big enough win streak and, and get into those you know upper echelon guys and stay there, um, I, I feel like I could sell myself enough. That I, I could make people care enough to watch my fights because, like you said, I'm going to go out there every time and, and give, give everything. You give everything, whether it be to the media or to the fight itself. And, yeah, you got it. And have had to be, no, you know, Dominic you gave it all out there. And he and he didn't have any shame in telling the media that's what happened. He had no shame after the fight. You have to be likable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean,
0: or or if you want to go the complete opposite, if you want to just be the guy that everyone hates, be um, Chael You know, you know, look, and I'm doing a preview show. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. I'm doing the preview show tomorrow morning. I don't know what to expect out of Shell and Tito Ortiz. I'm picking Shell Saw the win, but there's a lot yeah. of unknowns with Shell. I mean, you know, we haven't seen him in, in multiple years. What, what's he gonna look like? You know, I mean we don't we don't know what he's gonna look like. You know, um, you know, it, it's a retirement if fight for said, Tito. A- uh,
1: yeah, is it just a money fight?
0: Yeah, I mean to me, the fight in that car that has me just I can't wait to watch it is Paul Daly and Brandon Ward. You know, I, I had I had Greg Ribello on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, along with being a fighter, Greg is the head coach for Brennan Ward, and, and he was pretty honest about the fact that when he said, he goes, you know what? He goes, look, in an ideal situation, would I like uh, to see Brennan wrestle? Yeah, I'd like to see him wrestle. But I also know Brennan can can be a guy that, you know, he said, just like in his last fight where, you know, they're in a, a, a tangle up against the fence against Syed Awad, and Syed Awad goes, so are we going to wrestle or are we going to bang? And 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 Greg said it was right in front of their corner. And he said, right when Syed said that, I turned to my assistant coach next to me. And go, well, there went the game plan, because yeah. he knew Brennan was going to be just going to go out there and just start throwing haymakers. Um, but that's made yeah. that's also made Brennan very, a very popular fighter. To me, it's and, and, right. and, and Bell and look, it's special. Yeah, and Saturday's Bellator card—it's a really good fight card. You know, the you know the, always. I always enjoy them. There, there's noble names on, on the preliminary car, a, a lot of California-based fighters uh, that are going to be on that car. But, uh, you know, I mean, probably the hardcore may, um, fan and, and community is probably, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people tuning in that are probably going to be the biggest Hasaki Koto fans because he's taking on Holly Gracie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you know, you got George carahanian and Emmanuel Sanchez, that, that's a really good fight. That's on on, on that fight card uh so you know it, it it'll be a good it, it should be a good night of fights uh you know that's it's one of the the better cards bellator's put
1: on I'm excited and you know i, I this is the one you're talking about the one this weekend okay yeah. this is i have a friend on the one uh next weekend so i got a little confused
0: yeah that, that that's the one in king yeah they always,
1: always come consistent. they always come come consistent
0: yeah i mean they that's really uh you know uh, you know you know, wow. I I mean, I think they're going to do very well in, in terms of viewership, and obviously that's that's Tito and Shell driven. Final thing as we wrap up here, as a fighter, what what are the type of fights that get you excited to watch? I mean, obviously you you know people you train with, you're going to watch those fights, but
1: stylistically, what well, what gets you excited? Are- well, I mean, I'm a fighter because I enjoy fighting, and to me, I like a fighter. Who goes out there and isn't like does just does not care about the rounds at all? He's out there to fight and to finish, period. And so, like, when there's fighters like that, like, obviously, you know, I like the Diaz's typical, I like some kickboxers and stuff like that. There's some people, and uh, you know, I'll always watch people I know and try to support them, but fighters like people that I don't know. Personally, and that I've actually trained against and like tried to help get ready for, but I'm a fan of like Tim Means. Like I've I've tried, man. I think I'm. I've helped three fighters prepare against Tim Means, but I'm a huge fan of that guy. I love watching that guy fight. That dude's, you know, one of the prime examples of what I think a fighter should be. And uh, you know, guys like you know guys like Tim Means. um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but people that are out there fighting to get it done. And to get down and dirty, they're not out there to win. You know, if they win the decision, great, but that's not what it's about. It's about going out there and, you know, whooping ass. Yeah, you you want to go
0: out there and you know, you want to put on an exciting performance, but uh, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll be monsters Someone's getting
1: their ass cut. <laughs> <laughs> But we're,
0: you know, we'll be monitoring what's going on with you and your return as, uh, as you re- recover from that. So I really do appreciate you taking some time out uh, of your schedule to, to talk to us and give a, a fighter's point of view on some various things. And for uh, people who are who are not listening to or not following you on social media, let everyone know where they should follow you at.
1: It's pretty easy. I am. I think my name is the Creepy Weasel, but it's at Weasel Steve on Twitter. I'm just the creepy weasel on Instagram and then facebook.com slash the creepy weasel. I'm always posting updates, rehab videos, stuff with other fighters. Um, like, I mean, like, we, you know, if you want to see some cool stuff, right after Amanda knocked out Rhonda, she was in the gym on Monday. And for her first workout that day when she was helping Nina get ready, we were just chilling in the cage with her and, you know, Walt Harris, who just had his big knockout in the UFC and they were, you know, taking pictures with my dad and hanging out. So I'm always posting cool stuff on social media. Check it out.
0: Yeah. I always see your dad posting stuff on Facebook.
1: Oh, he's just nuts, dude. He's a super fan. I'm about to make him his own Facebook fan page just for how much of a fan he is.
0: Oh yeah. But, but, uh, you know, you definitely want to follow Steve. Uh, of course, uh, the, this week's MMA Report podcast is already out. I uh, have interviews with Mike Richmond, Kevin Casey, Henry Corrales, Cody or Matt Bissett, and Vulcan Oldsmere. So be sure uh, to check that out. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, we'll have a preview show for Bellator 170. That's going to come out on Thursday morning of this week. Of course, if you're not subscribing to this podcast, the MMA Insiders podcast, you can do that on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search. The M Airport, of course, always available on radioinfluence.com. So that's gonna wrap it up for this week's edition of the M Airport Podcast, which you always hear on radioinfluence.com. Chef Brian Duffy here. I've got a new show called Duffified Live that's unlike anything you've ever heard. Each week, I'm going to be talking to some of my friends, some people I've never even met before. We're going to be talking about people that I meet on the road through some of my experiences. We're talking about restaurants, talking about great stories, great guests, wild
1: adventures, the whole nine yards. Get Duffified Live with me, Chef Brian Duffy, each week on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.